Welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. I hope your Sunday is going great. We have another great episode. Today's episode is with artist Roberto Romo. Uh, he's a real sweet guy, real passionate guy, and I had the opportunity to talk to him today. And I must say that it left me very inspired. I love it when I talk to artists on this podcast. Uh, I really do. I'm not very good at art. I'm not very good at understanding art. But every time I sit down and I have a conversation with an artist, I feel like I am one step closer to understanding it. And to help me out with even more about understanding art, we have uh, we are premiering a brand new segment called Exhibit This with Miranda Caravallo. Miranda Caravallo, she is a great friend of mine who I hold very dear. She is much more than an art enthusiast. She is also a playwright, a comedian, and a writer. So trust me people, this is one segment to look forward to uh, at least once a month. So uh, before we get to that, uh, please I'm reminding everybody that you can subscribe to the JMS Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, SoundCloud. So please subscribe if you haven't already. You can also follow the JMS Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can see all the extra content available to you right there. But even better, you can look at all of it in one place at jmspodcast.com. Once again, jmspodcast.com. All right, we got a jam-packed episode today, so we cannot have too much time to waste. So let's get to it. Uh, the first thing we're going to listen to is the brand new segment of Exhibit This. Miranda Caravallo heads all the way to San Francisco to the MoMA Museum to let us know about an exhibition that she went to go visit. The intro music to the segment has been done by none other than my great friend Matt Mullins. Matt Mullins was our previous guest last week and he is also the uh, part of the band The Mountain Chimes. And so thank you, Matt Mullins, for giving me this piece of, uh, of music to serve as the intro music to this segment. And if you enjoyed the conversation with Matt Mullins, good news. He is having a, a show with the Mountain Chimes this upcoming Saturday on August 26th. It is going to be at the Art Boutique in San Jose, California. It is at 44 Race Street in San Jose. Uh, it is, starts at 730 so get there this Saturday, August 26th. The Mountain Chimes are headlining along with local bands such as Struggle and Canvas. So once again, Saturday, August 26th at the Yard Boutique. You do not want to miss that show. I might be in that show. And uh, it'll be great to, uh, to see any one of you and say hello. So come on by. All right, let's get to our conversation with Miranda about the latest exhibit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new segment. Uh, this segment's called Exhibit This, featuring Miranda Caravello. That's me. And Miranda, let's give people a gist of what they're what they're up to, or what what is this new segment about? Uh, okay. Well, I am Miranda Caravello, Ben. But what I really want to know, Jorge, is what what do you feel about art? Uh, I feel many things. It depends on what kind of art I'm. I'm I mean, just the at. concept of like, when, when was the last time you went to a uh, museum? Um, not too long ago, actually. Uh, I went. <laughs> it's pretty. I went to a uh, hippie e- exhibit 
exhibition in Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, modern hippieism. It was weird. Oh, I, I don't. I didn't enjoy it very much. Uh, would you say? Well, uh, when was the last time you enjoyed going to a museum? Um, well, that same day, I checked out another exhibit. It was an abstract painting, so I really enjoyed it. It was a big, big, really big um, abstract painting. Like look huge. At, look ones. at you, kind of supporting and, uh, the main thesis of what I'm about to talk about. Okay. Cool guy. I feel like it's uh, a lot of people don't really make a habit out of going to museums, uh, which is a total shame because we have a lot of great museums in this area. There's, there's uh, of course, there's um, the the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco. Uh, there's a few other museums there. There's there's the MoMA in San Jose. There's um, the Museum of Contemporary Art, which is smaller. Uh, if you go down First Street past Fiscati, where we live, um, you'll see the Museum of Contemporary Art. It's it's always free, and they always have something really interesting there. There's uh, Anno Domini, or Anno Domini. I feel like I should have looked that up. Uh, sorry, Sherry, if you're listening. Uh, a amazing little industrial exhibit that I think is just open whenever Sherry Lakey feels like it, which is just the coolest. She's the coolest. Um, but for, for right now, what I'm specifically talking about is the MoMA, which is uh, not something that, uh, not a place that I've been visiting that much because uh, I'm still fairly young and I was in a life path that didn't make it easy to just sort of go to San Francisco. Uh, but I've been going to them, I've been going there more and it's it's been really really fantastic and it I love talking about art and I love I could actually hear the squeaks of this chair now that's that's, that's me that's art I love talking about art but uh, the more I talk about it the more I realize that a lot of people don't feel qualified to talk about it uh, the the girl that I'm sort of trying to woo right now I was I was excitedly explaining the things that I was se- uh, seeing and she was I was like what's your favorite artist and she's like ah, I don't know I don't think I could really I'm not like smart enough like I can't do it and art I, can be intimidating yeah art, can. art can be very intimidating uh, which is disappointing to me because uh, in my opinion it's way easier to act like you know about something than to actually care about it like I'll I'll give you an example Jorge I'm going to describe a movie to you. <clears throat> So this movie that, that I'm describing, that I want you to see, it's an absurdist farce with a grave undertone that embodies the chaotic ennui of a modern lost generation. The main character is a classic, unreliable narrator, and it's from his dysfunctional perspective that we watch how he struggles when face-to-face with his own future, a future that is smarter, sleeker, and more relevant, so much so that eventually he's left with no choice to eventually praise it as a godsend. Would you see that movie? Uh, yeah, isn't that Ferris Bueller Day Off? No, actually, it's Boss Baby. But do you see my point? Like, if you you can take anything and make it sound intelligent, it's become a game to me, much more appealing than to actually try and like have an intellectual conversation. Like, it it, it would become a game to make something that's not academic sound academic. Uh. Which brings me back to art, something that people seem to think is academic, and a lot of people don't even know how to describe art. Like, what I'm what I love is modern art. I love contemporary art, uh, and that's a kind of controversial thing to, the thing to say. A lot of people think that abstract art is not art. I don't believe you are one of those people, are you? Um, no, I believe it's art. I, I don't understand why people would say it's not art. I mean, it, well, is, usually, it is paint on a, on a canvas. No, or or paint on a uh, naked woman, or yeah, uh, sure. paint on a, a, a baby mannequin, or paint on a thousand baby mannequins. Well, for me, I had a moment in abstract art uh, because I remember I went, I ran away to Berkeley one time, and I went to an abstract uh, exhibition, and I was having a pretty hard day emotionally, 
And I was just staring at this huge abstract painting. Yeah. I'm like, I don't get this. This is bullshit. Why am I? Why am I here? Why am I looking at this? I'm mean, like, how do I know that I'm taking the full experience of this abstract painting? How do I know? So I went up to one of the guidance, uh, to one of the people, security or whatever. And I was like, I was like, you, you work here, so you're an art major, right? She goes, Oh yeah, I went to art at Berkeley. I'm like, Well, great. All right, so. Where do I start with this painting? Like, how does it work? Tell me how it works, all right? Why Why am I heartbroken? Why Why is life so, has to be so cruel? And she goes, well, you have to look at it until you feel something. Yeah. And that which, changed everything for me. Yeah, and the, the, also, feature reference, um, art is not a uh, gadget that you buy out of the Sky Mall. Uh, you can't, like, shake it and poke it until it makes it work. In my opinion, if you were to ask me what I think art is, I think art is something that you either like how it looks or it makes you feel something like some variation of those two things and uh a lot of people seem to think that art is something that is uh something that they could not do which is why they, uh, that's the main comment you get with abstract art with like the jackson pollock paintings like a lot of people go like i could do that i could splatter paint on a canvas uh and that's the usual consensus of why people don't seem to appreciate contemporary abstract art when you know first of all the the obvious rebuttal is yeah but you didn't uh but that bothers me like i had a pretty inverse experience like experience two years at the museum because i was having a terrible day because i was dealing with quitting a terrible job at a restaurant i'm not gonna say which restaurant let's just say it was a diner uh that wasn't ihop uh, but is as popular as ihop and maybe in some locations there's one next to an ihop uh but i went to this, uh, I went to MoMA looking for some sort of piece and I ended up finding it on the fifth floor in the exhibit of um, pop art, figurative art, uh, and minimalism. I, I find uh, minimalist art, like I'll, I'll describe to you a painting, a real painting. So close your eyes, imagine a canvas. It's about five foot by four feet and it is blue. You picturing it? Mm-hmm. What do you think about it? Just, I think of waves. I think of ocean. I think of calmness. So you're a bad test subject because you're a feeling and loving individual. Most people would look at a blue painting. Hey, there might be some listeners out there right now. No, who, of course, who, who of might, course. Might, I don't know, feel the same way I do. I no, that's know. good. That's good. That's that's how I feel. That's what I want everybody to feel. Well, what's a bad response to that? No, there's no bad response. There's no bad response. But I'm saying a lot of people will look at the painting that I'm describing, which is... Uh, Yves Klune's, um IKB79, which is a canvas that is just blue. It is just a blue canvas. A lot of people would look at that and say, why is this in a museum? This is just a blue canvas. And if we are talking about, um, let's say, I, I particularly enjoyed at MoMA, the um, Ellsworth, uh, Ellsworth Kelly's uh, multi-panel paintings. Uh, these are paintings where a lot of them are just single monochromed canvases but what makes it particularly interesting in my opinion is that the canvases are very exact they're not your traditional color they're, they're not your traditional shape and uh they're cut so that they could fit in certain angles and a painting i liked was called red on red and it was these two squares these two red squares that were on top of each other and there was a very slight shadow because that that's something that i noticed about minimal art with uh, with a lack of color or really shape or anything it really makes to it makes a game out of the physicality of the art itself i like minimal art not a lot of people do and you know why i like it at the very core of my being it looks nice what a lot of people what people try to explain but usually get caught up jacking themselves off is that abstract art is not as simple as it looks 
uh, the the Eve's Clune painting I was talking about, the thing that's just a blue canvas. Mm-hmm. It's just a blue canvas, but it's an entirely different shade of blue. Eve's Clune is a French artist who invented a new shade of blue. Oh wow! Yeah. He made it uh, through uh, heavy use of ultramarine, which is what happens when you grind up lapis lazuli, and and just thick, thick, heavy application layers, hundreds and hundreds of layers of different shades of blue to create this shade of blue that otherwise would not exist. He made a new color. Fascinating. Exactly. And and even the Jackson Pollock paintings, some say they're tessellations that require very exact, he's not just like, you know, taking two fistfuls of paint and throwing it willy-nilly at a canvas. There's actually math involved in a lot of these paintings. Another painting that you can find in MoMA was uh, Gerhard Richter's um, 256 Farben. I don't believe that's what it's called. I think that's what it's called. My handwriting is terrible, but you'll see it because it's a massive painting with just squares and squares of colors. Kind of looks, it kind of looks pixelated, which is something else that um, Ellsworth, or Ellsworth Kelly does a lot. Uh, but if you look at the description of the paintings, which if you ask my opinion, you can look into them, you can not look at them. If you want to, you can. If you don't, don't. Do you Sometimes, recommend it? I, depends. If you want it. I've gone through that museum, all seven floors of that museum, just staring at the pic- paintings and seeing how I felt. But what I found very interesting was that this painting, which is, which is, uh, uh, at first glance, just a bunch of squares of meaningless colors, is actually the product of very careful math. Richter took multiples of four, which represent the four primary colors, including gray, and repeated them to create 4,096 different shades of color. Wow. And when you think about it like that, when you think about it, sure, it's not um, the Mona Lisa, it's not like a, a smiling lady in front of some mountains. It's not uh, a bunch of angel people in, in, in nudes and horses and boats and whatever else. <laughs> I don't know why these are my examples of, you know, regular conventional paintings. Like Renaissance era paintings? Yeah, yeah. And it's not, my, my favorite painting is, is Edward, Ho- uh, my favorite painting, my favorite painter is Edward Hopper. Uh, he made Nighthawks, most memorably, the painting with the couple at the diner. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I find his paintings to be uh, very loving and very lonely without being cold and I like his paintings a lot. I have a mural of one of his paintings on my wall that I did myself. Uh, it's Automat, by the way, fun fact for the listeners. But just because a painting doesn't have a visible, I'm trying to phrase this in the right way, just because a painting looks easy doesn't mean it is. Mm. Yes. Uh, uh, to, to the naked eye, the pixel yes. painting would be like, oh, just a bunch of pixels. What's the big yeah, deal? Clune didn't paint a bunch of angels on a roof, but he did apply hundreds and hundreds of coats of paint to one canvas to create an entirely new color. How are you not losing your mind over this? The, the, the effort is still there. That is why the big overwhelming response to that, like, I could do it, is like, no, you couldn't. You could not do it. You wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. You, but like and like if like it's it's all about like exact angles and exact shapes but even even assuming that you could do it which you haven't and you don't like i i don't i don't get that i don't get that excuse i don't get that response i don't get why art is the one medium where you can't just like how something looks hmm. like why should people be like afraid to talk about art. People are afraid to talk about art because they can't just look at a fucking 
Frida Kahlo. There's some beautiful Frida Kahlo paintings at MoMA. They can't just look at a Frida Kahlo painting and be like, I like that, it looks nice. And that, that's the end of the conversation. And they also couldn't look at a Frida Kahlo painting and say, I don't like it, it doesn't look nice, because a thousand other people with art directions will go up and be like, Frida Kahlo is the best. That's all I hear when they talk like that. And I wanted to stop. I'm making a, I'm making a, a declaration on the JMS podcast, which I assume is heard across the globe. People, stop being dicks about art. Amen. You could be dicks about other stuff. I'm not saying it's great, but I can't, I can't take all of it. Just stop being dicks well, about art. <laughs> I believe sometimes people can take advantage of art and use it as a form of power. Yeah. Use it as a, as a form of uh, privilege, even. But I think that's the point of the segment, though, is to bring art to listeners yes. who would regularly not be into art. And here's the exact thing. Here is my pitch to people who are afraid to go to art or to talk about art. People like to pretend to like things, and a lot of people like to force themselves to like abstract art, which is something I used to do. I used to force myself to like Pollock, which I, I respect him, but I, uh, I don't think his paintings look nice, and they make me feel bad. People say that there isn't really a place for modern art, or it's the best thing or the worst thing. There's no real middle ground, but if it feels inaccessible to you, think about something that is just as simple as modern art to me, and what I say, have you... Ha- I found out recently that you don't know about ASMR. Yeah, I don't know what that is. What is that? Okay, I'll explain to you what ASMR is. It's, it's a very popular um, YouTube video trend. I've been doing a lot of it inadvertently over the course of this podcast, but it's um, a form of audio in, that's supposed to react something in your brain that feels like like tickle your brain or something. People say it's not sexual. It kind of seems like it's sexual. It's all of these videos. I had you Google ASMR. The um, latest, I, I looked up ASMR. The first video has over 2.6 million views. So it's stimulation through audio. Yes, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of this video, of variations of this video. Now, how does that relate to the exhibit that you want to go visit in SF? In my opinion, like that sort of concept, that genre of video making is very similar to modern art in the fact that like it seems easy or like things that can seem easy can still have a place because everyone's watching these fucking ASMR videos. Just because it's simple, it doesn't need to mean that much to still have a place in society. Right. You don't need to think of a huge crazy reason to like art. Mm-hmm. You could just like art. You could say, this looks nice, this doesn't look nice, it still has meaning. And you don't have to defend it just like you shouldn't have to defend watching an ASMR video. I think they're weird, but I'm not gonna bother a person if he's into it. I don't know. And I'm saying he because I feel like it's mostly he's because all these videos are pretty <laughs> girls and that's it. Yeah, you can't say that's not. It's like, I'm getting off point. I'm getting off point. But but but, but I agree for the most part what you're saying about art and how to talk about art. Yeah. Keep art simple. Like if you enjoy it, just but, but like straight off the bat what do you enjoy about it you don't have to go into this whole language of academia so go to a museum alone look at the art read the little things or don't read the little things and just let yourself experience it without any fear that you won't do it right because you can't not do it right andy warhol made a video of a dude eating a burger and he's considered one of the best artists of all time art is nothing nothing is anything it's fine (laughs) But we're, we're kind of running out of time. Yeah, but, absolutely. But you, you described some pretty cool paintings uh, earlier, and it's currently going on at SOFA. 
uh, at Sofa at uh, <laughs> at uh, San Francisco MoMA. Yeah, you're way off. The exhibition is pop, minimal, and figurative art. It's on the fifth floor of Soma. Right it's it's now. it's going on. Um, it might actually be a, like a permanent sort of exhibit. It's it's been going on for a while. And w- what were some highlights again for you for this exhibition? The pop minimal and figurative art at SF MoMA. Yeah, uh, the Andy War- they have some early Andy Warhols that were pretty interesting to look at because it's kind of before his whole Marilyn Monroe phase. Um, I really enjoyed the works of Dan Flavin that were mostly um, LED. Uh, light and a lot of grid work that was really fascinating uh, and of course the Ellsworth Kelly multi, uh, multi-panel multi paintings were very nice. They were just they're nice to look at. I like them. Alright, Miranda. <laughs> and on that note, thank you for coming. There you have it. The brand new segment, Exhibit This. What did you guys think? Please let me know at jmspodcast at gmail.com. Do you disagree? Do you agree? Uh, did you learn something new? I would love to hear all about it. All right, move it on to our main feature interview with Roberto Romo. Had a great talk with him. He even gave me a gift. He gave me one of his art pieces, La Nueva Loteria, which is a, a Latin kind of bingo as you're about to find out that its roots are not exactly Latin. It's very interesting of how much research he put into it. And uh, I highly suggest you guys check this guy's art if there's ever an opportunity because he has an amazing story behind it all. All right, without much further ado, let's go check out what Roberto Romo is up to. Romo, thank you for coming to the JMS podcast. Thank you for it's having a, me. It's a pleasure, and thank you for the gift. It's funny. I put it right here. Awesome. The La, La Nueva Loteria. Uh, this this actually what caught my attention because uh, we've met at the uh, at the uh, art uh, walk. Was yes. it the art walk? Yes, it was the festivity that San Jose has, and it's once a year, and they have the Sub Zero name for that event. Oh, oh, Sub Zero. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I like how, how like you're the festivity that San Jose. You're not from San Jose, are you? Uh, not originally from. No. I was how, born and raised in Jalisco, Mexico, and I came here to the United States in uh, 1985 uh, uh, at the age of six. Did you come to San Jose? Was that straight? Yes, it was straight into San Jose. Okay, and it was uh, it was. Uh, so you've been here since '85. 85 yes how was that uh transformation for you from like jalisco to san jose was that quite a, a culture shock were you already an adult by that time no i was uh the uh, uh at that point i was uh six years old and it was a very uh big culture shock being that i was living in rural uh, Mexico and then we lived in a small town for a brief moment and then from there it was just to a full-blown city mm-hmm. I had never been in a plane so that that just you know that launched me into a new experience landing here new language new food and uh, new ways of doing things it was very different and uh, you said that you grew up in a rural area that's correct yes. what did your parents do 
My parents, uh, we were farmers. My father was a farm worker. Uh, we cultivated our own food, corn, um, squash, calabazas, and all that thing. And then my, uh, he used to do uh, dairy. So we used to have cattle. So we would uh, milk the cattle and then sell our milk and then transform that money into soap and blankets, whatever it is that we needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned before we started recording that you're, you also got half indigenous ancestry with you. That's correct. Uh, and does that come from your mother's side or your father's side? It's on my, uh, both uh, parents have uh, that interaction with the indigenous family, as we all know. Um, we're a combination of many different things. On my mother's side, we have uh, Nawa, mm -hmm. uh, indigenous people, and there are some family members uh, back in the family tree on my father's side. Can you talk native. about the Nawa tribe? Because I'm not really familiar with it. And is it is it uh, specifically in the Mexican region, or are they the, more yes. widespread? Uh, the Nahua, they cover a large territory. They are from Jalisco. They go a little bit into Michoacán, Guerrero, and uh, they don't have necessarily a border because they interacted with other tribes, such as uh, if you go down to Michoacán, you can have someone that is half Purépecha, half Nahua. So there's that link. There's not a specific region in Mexico that you can say this tribe is here because, of course, there was uh, no borders back then. So people moved freely. Very nomadic. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. If, if yeah. things went wrong, there was a, a food scarcity or there was no water, then you would just migrate and then make yourself a home. You would marry local people, and of course, that uh, uh, reinforced the interaction between uh, the different mm -hmm. ethnic groups. Which is interesting because you mentioned Michoacan, and that's where my family's from. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, from Morelia, Michoacan. And it's like, oh, maybe I got some Nahua in me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it may be. And it's beautiful. I mean, Michoacan is in Nahua, uh, Nayarit, and uh, different different regions of Mexico still hold uh, that Nahua tradition. Mexico is in Nahua. Michoacan is in Nahua. Mexico is in Nahua. Uh, Sinaloa is in Nahua. Mazatlan. Mm -hmm. So different regions, they still hold that uh, language intact. Guerrero, things like that. Now, growing up, uh, were your parents still, uh, you know, uh, holding on to certain Nahua rituals or, or uh, traditions? Uh, no. Okay. It was it was very hidden. I guess it's an identity that uh, sometimes we don't know what we are. We just go about our daily lives. But there was always that element that they used to bring to the table where they would talk about certain rituals. You know, if you're sick, you take these herbs. If a, if a woman is uh, in her cycle, you t take certain medicines. But because of, uh, you know, the loss in culture, sometimes you do things that are linked to your ancestry, but sometimes people don't know how to identify them. And, and did you always embrace your Nahuatl culture? Or was it was like later in life where you decided to go back and really uh, and, and do some research on it? I actually felt very powerful and I would always observe different members of my family. Some of them were darker, some of them were fair skin. And what happened was that um, I had a uh, something inside of me that really uh, led me to do research and seek guidance and seek 
teachers that would um, was it a calling yeah it was a calling ever ever since I was uh, the age of 12 I started for some reason uh, drawing um, Aztec warriors and women and uh, people with feathers and it would just call me and call me and call me and then I had this big uh, realization that well I'm uh, you know I'm not following what other people are why do people do this so there was always an interest for me to investigate and then that led me to listen to people and whenever that they promoted cultural awareness I would seek their guidance and then that's when my path really began now you just described yourself as a powerful person can you emphasize on that and, and, and what you mean by that I think that we are, well, I don't think, I know that we are all powerful and sometimes we get caught up in taking the power away from people. So I am as powerful as you are. So mm -hmm. that's a, a uh, calling to people to come to their power. In other words, if you are uh, powerful in music, you bring that power to us as a society. Mm -hmm. You teach us about music and then you dedicate your life, your time after that you are going to be the one that offers society music. So everybody has a power, a calling. And so it's like a spiritual power. Yes. Like a, a force, an energy of sorts. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Everybody, sometimes the food calls them, so they become chefs, and they keep us healthy through diet. And then you keep us the nervous system. You keep it really healthy because you promote the music. And then I promote visual so I'm an artist so every time that you see that I touch your life through color mm -hmm. interesting yeah all right so you're going up in this rural area with your family how many siblings did you have there was originally four of us and one passed away at a very young age uh, and then currently there's uh, two sisters and I am the youngest out of four ah you're the baby of the um, family I am what we know in Mexico as La Gorda del Perro. <laughs> so it was that women would cook yeah. tortillas and then they would do actually a small tortilla and the last one to eat in the house was the dog. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I know that it sounds a little bit rough on the edge. It sounds Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when you say I am La Gordita del Perro, yeah. it's the, that you are the last one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an endearing expression. Yeah, it's an endearing, and it doesn't sound very endearing, but, you know. Well, like most things are Mexican, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, it's, uh, and then uh, what made you guys decide to go from the rural area to a town? And what town was this? Uh, we I was born in Montelargo, Jalisco, Santa Maria, also known. And I moved into Jalostotitlan, and that is also in Nahuatl, which is Las Cuevas de Arena. Mm -hmm. And what kind of town was this? It's a very small town. There's uh, no uh, traffic signals. Everybody, you know, just like a stop, and everybody says hello to each other. Uh, everybody congregates around uh, the plaza. They say hello to each other. Uh, very good food, and then you know a lot of people. They they go into town. They take care of their business, pay their bills, buy their groceries, and then go out to the rural rural area. And what did you do for fun? 
throw rocks and sticks and go to the river and uh you know good old-fashioned uh, stuff yeah, before the internet just like oh yes <laughs> it was just like okay throw your cousin into the pool into the river and see if he drowns or he floats uh you oh, know really run times. away from the dogs and watch out for the snakes <laughs> and the scorpions and climb some trees and then uh actually you bring that forward but um hide and seek is something that i think it's a very uh, i'm 38 years old and i still play hide and seek with kids and i don't show them where i'm at i hide really good and i'm i'm a big guy and i'm like i'm trying to camouflage myself and they're little kids and i love that i love that it's it's almost like it 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 energizes you it it makes you search not give up you frustrate you're like where's this person i would love to climb into trees and then the person looking for me was right below me yeah. <laughs> and i and i would take that very seriously it was a very serious game and if you cheated uh -huh. nobody would play with you because you were a cheater <laughs> it was like die hard hide and seek it was just would you describe yourself as a serious kid yes i was always very serious in a way that I always wanted to know it was like uh, do this and it was I was always trying to look for the logic of it why do you want me to do this what's the purpose of it well shut up you just have to do it so I, I, I grew up uh, in a Catholic home and it was like Catholicism was obey mm. obey and I would always go to catech uh, catechism and uh, one of my cousins that was older she directed catechism and I was always the guy that no be quiet but why was why is god uh, up in the air yeah. uh, does he ever fall was she a nun? shut up don't ask that uh does god can can god like uh if i if i don't have food can he like where do i go get my food from god yeah <laughs> like no, uh, be quiet they never had the answers <laughs> so i was like uh, you know it yeah. was uh, yeah she was not a nun but yeah. she was a very devout catholic so yeah. i was always the troublemaker but in the sense that i would cause and provoke thought and idea okay so you were like the black sheep of the family no i was the the one that asks too many questions the curious one yeah i was like the curious <laughs> one and, and I, I think that a lot of people uh the adults would tell me to be quiet because they did not possess the answer they're like well this kid is and it was always the cleverness behind it like okay well how does this work and i was always curious about the mechanics of life of society of everyday doing do you feel you still hold like a like a chip on your shoulder when it comes to that when you're an adult when as an adult someone kind of also uh in context goes like don't don't do that don't don't say that do you do you kind of also you know bring out some of that uh, stuff you had when you were younger of course yes uh there's always the common sense where if you tell me let's all be quiet let's all meditate let's come together well you know there needs to be uni uh, unity but if all of a sudden you say okay i need you to do this and this and this and this and that i just have to be uh told what the outcome will be mm -hmm. so that not really questioning but to say what else can i bring to the table what can i add how can i make it better how can i excel if you say we're going to do a house, well, what kind of house is it going to be? Is it going to be for family? Is it going to be a house for an animal? Is it going to... So then that way I can think like an animal and say, is this animal really going to be uh, comfortable? Is it short enough, tall enough? So that I, I want insight to 
to excel or to perform. Okay, so it sounds like uh, you you are very open to collaboration. Oh yes,、uh, I grew up from a collaborative society, and roles were very defined in my home. My sisters would take care of the home, and I would bring with my father the food to the house. So I would go out, pick firewood, and then that was my contribution. So when I got home, I had earned a plate of beans,、mm. and that was my sister's contribution to me carrying wood. My mother, she would go to the river and wash our clothes, and、uh, clean us. And then when she needed assistance, I would go. And it's very, very codependent society. It's a social,、uh, a social society.、Uh, how have you earned your food? What do you bring to the table? And then my father,、uh, my sisters would take care of him because he had been out milking cows for all day long, picking fruit,、uh, doing different chores. So when he got home, that was his contribution to the family. So there was no like,、uh, and then I was always the the loner kid.、Uh, so for example, if if my dad was like, okay, your mom needs help at the house, then you're gonna stay and sweep, and clean, and wipe, and wash dishes. And then my mom would say, "Okay, you're done here. Go back to your dad and go work and milk cows." So it was almost like I was this this little person that was shifting、yeah. all the time. So,、huh. and there was no sexism like, "Oh,、uh, women should only take care of the house, or men should." No, it was something that a person should be able to provide for themselves all across the board. Right. Right.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess you didn't have time for friends because you were constantly being, you know, going from one to the other. No, actually,、uh, doing that,、uh, we would, for example, when we would go to pick fruit,、uh, mushrooms, and things like that, we would say, "Hey, let's all go out." So it was play and collecting food, nopales. We would go out, but it was in a group of kids, and it's like, okay, let's see who can cut them first, and then somebody would get poked with a nopal. <laughs> it's like, oh, this guy, somebody in a tuna. The, Everything is on them, so it was it was that type of play, you know. It was like, it wasn't necessarily a, a chore. It was that you went out and then you you had the experience where to pick,、mm-hmm. and then it was also a、uh, play play. It, it was very very engaging. Now at this age,、uh, were you already drawing? Yes, I was actually drawing, and uh, and uh, uh, I had. A very good、uh, mortar skills. I had very good mortar skills. I guess playing around, you know, that made me、uh, very agile and very good with my hands. Well, so, farming as well. Yeah,、know? farming. Yeah. You're picking, and then you ma- you're making sure that you use your hands. So I have been raised with working hands, and then the analysis of me analyzing form and things like that allowed me. To have a sense of what this thing that I am interacting with, what's the shape, what's the color, so a very analytical mind. So I was drawing at a very young age.、Uh, my and then when we returned to Mexico,、uh, I won、uh, several contests of the town. And here's this little seven, eight-year-old that just、uh, amazed everybody with、uh, their drawings. At that age, so at seven, you were already recognized as as a as an artist, basically.、Yes. Uh huh. How was that? How, how did you take that in? Did it feel good to have so many people appreciate your work, or was it more like, oh, I don't know these people, 
And it was surprising for the fact that drawing was never encouraged in my family. Oh, th- it there was, were no other artists in your family? Th- there was no other artist. I mean, you had a pencil and a notebook with blue lines. And it's like, okay, so how am I going to build this? So it wasn't like the modern family that I call that, you know, you go to school, you do homework, you do math, you do science, you do a little bit. And then since kindergarten or fourth, third, fifth grade, whatever, that was never part of our family. You know, there was never like, oh, I'm going to buy you some sketch pads. Here you go. So it was never promoted because it wasn't part of the culture. How did your parents react to you getting uh, this much attention for your art? I think that it was very surprising to them because they had uh, they were all always knowing that I was very capable, but all of a sudden they were just um, very very proud, and they says, "Oh, my kid is that that one kid that did this drawing." Mm-hmm. So they would go about, you know, letting the whole town know, and then news over there uh, spread very quickly so it was like oh good job good job (laughs) (laughs) and then uh what made you guys move to the united states and uh why specifically to the uh, bay area economics finances improving your life uh really having my father say i'm gonna have something for future years i'm gonna improve my house I'm going to build a bigger house. Uh, We're going to improve in our finances so that we can buy a truck, have a tractor, uh, come back and fix uh, some of the house. So that led us to come into San Jose. My father had been immigrating here since uh, the 70s. Was it through the Bracero program? Uh, No, the Bracero program was one of my mother's brother. He's the one that originally started coming here in the uh, in the late 40s to work in the Bracero 50s uh, and then he would come in seasons six seven months and then he would go back and then he would uh, uh, return with his permit and then of course since uh, he became a foreman so he can uh, sponsor other people and who are you going to sponsor you're going to sponsor your brother-in-law your cousin because you have that experience and you know how they work and then my father uh, started coming at later years but my father was not part of the bracero it was my uncle on my mother's side okay so he decided to go to san jose did did you have family here in san jose oh yes okay Uh, yes so that's uh, why the move to san jose yeah you say that you're from michoacan and amazingly some of the people that immigrate in large numbers from the mexican republic is Michoacán, Jalisco, Guerrero, and Oaxaca. Yeah. Those four states here are in very, very, very large numbers. Uh Because, you know, they they have, uh, as all Mexicans, as all societies, uh, we have a very uh, strong work ethic. So we just come, work, and then return, and then open up our business, fix our homes, fix our finances. And then they're like, oh, oh, this was really good. So I might go back. So, yeah. you know, we're just bouncing around north, south, north, south, north, south. Well, that's some of the story to my family. You know, my grandpa is the one who, who started coming here through the Brussels program Beautiful. back in the day. And he, st- he started working all over California. And before you know it, he found a, a, a good spot here in the Bay Area. 
and then he brought you know my grandma and from there you know the rest of the family you know that and it's interesting because uh, uh, actually my grandpa got awarded because he eventually he settled down in Mopitas and for some reason I never really understood it but they made a big deal out of it there was a certain point where the, the city of Mopitas gave him like a recognition Wow. For being one of the early Mexican, you know, residents to be living in Mopitas. Because it's such a small town and there was like, exactly. I don't know, yeah. not much diversity, I suppose. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, it's a similar story as mine, you know. It, it, we started, uh, he came from a, a small pueblo uh, where they worked in the fields and so on. And then he came over here to do that. Yeah, so uh, just like life, you know, we carry a, 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 a lot of similarities. Yeah. So we uh, we interact in that way, and then when we look at each other, you're like, "Oh, you've lived a similar experience as I have," and then that that creates the the brotherhood. <laughs> so you get here, San Jose. Mm -hmm. uh, you you don't you don't speak English, right? Of course. You, no. and, and but all you got was your art, right? Exactly. Yes. So how did you navigate growing up here at those early stages of of, of uh, when you stepped off the plane here? When I stepped off the plane, all of a sudden I was at a new school and I was never, education was really not promoted in my uh, home. It was, uh, work was always promoted, mm -hmm. but it was because my parents had lacked uh, the education. I have two parents that went into third and fourth grade, maybe, you know, just basic reading, basic addition, multiplication and division and uh, things like that. So when I get here, there's a lack in support. There wasn't that many bilingual instructors. So, I mean, I would sit in class and the teacher would talk and present her lesson. And I was like, wah, 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 wah. It was just like somebody was, there was a veil in the language. So what I would do is I would sit uh, behind in the tables in the back of the classroom and then make myself busy. So I was given a pencil and a paper and because I didn't understand anything, I would start drawing little doodles on the uh, sheets of paper that I had to answer to. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the teacher would uh, get the paper and look at it and says, this is not gonna get you anywhere. You need to learn how to read. You need to learn how to do math. And I was like, uh, okay, so. Yeah. But did she see potential? Like, okay, maybe you should start taking smart classes? Uh, no. No. No, not really. It was uh, English class, so we did English, and I was always the one that would get in trouble because I knew very little, and then it was always that, um, that conflict. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, how do I communicate? So uh, it wasn't un until I started picking up some of the language that I really, really started to kind of tone it down on the drawing and started answering some of the questions. All right, and you grow up, you go through high school, mm -hmm. and uh, and were you were you still you know putting your art out there like uh, absolutely into contests and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I went to middle school, I went to elementary school here uh, for a, a short while. I go to middle school, and then I start uh, in middle school. I started really gravitating because that they had a little bit more formal training where you went into an art class and it was specific to that subject. 
-hmm. and it was like wow this is no writing no math it's all just line work color paint so because of that discovery says you I can actually dedicate an entire hour to this and not get in trouble so that was like a great big gift to me in elementary in high school uh, everybody would start calling me Picasso hey what's up Picasso hey how's it going and it was like it kept getting better because the teachers kept pushing it improve this improve that so that really answered a lot of the questions that I had about art like how do you draw a hand oh here let me show you so there was a process so I was starting to discover that and yes they were starting to promote that gift in me so it was the plan after high school to jump into the art world actually I did not have any plans of pursuing anything in the art for one reason because um, I was going back home and still education was not promoted you know there was uh, very few teachers uh, saying oh you can do what was lacking is the emphasis on look you can be an artist and then what did that mean well you can be an illustrator you can be an architect a car designer so there was it was very vague and broad and then uh, after a while I started discovering and myself and saying do I really like reading writing absolutely not so that was okay I'm not gonna pursue anything in reading and writing do I love math absolutely not so then I started what are my options okay history and art so then I, I narrowed and then I was fighting it until I came to college uh, I went to Evergreen and then there uh, I had a realization okay I don't want to do anything I'm just gonna take an art class and then I went there and then I performed very well and everybody's like wow did you know that you can be a illustrator did you know that you can be an animator that's when it started to come into focus like there's a career in this and it's called this oh, wow and uh, did you go did you transfer out of Evergreen yes I did uh, Evergreen Valley College and then I started being noticed I got a reputation and then that's when I really picked up momentum and it was actually under the direction of Barbara Bouchard that she started breaking things down like steps you need to learn color you need to learn learn form you le need to learn anatomy so I was like checklist after checklist and I was like, okay, so I've done all these. And then I saw a radical improvement. And then that finished. And I said, okay, well, what, can I keep going? Okay, if you want to keep going, there's this other option. So that's when I went from uh, uh, junior college into a university, a four-year uh, university. Which university? That was the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. How was that? Because now you got a more competitive field. Competition is good. Yeah. Competition is, 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 is good. One, you are competing with yourself to be better. And then you are competing for a job. 
position. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be an animator, are you going to get the best animator? Or are you going to be with someone that does not know how to render the... They render the body very well, but they might not be able to draw hands well. Mm. So it's like, okay, I want a really good artist. So I love that because amazingly enough, this is when sometimes the art world collides. This is everything is art, you know, but there's a process. There's something that you must do well. And if you don't do it, I need to uh, um, give, uh, bring it up to your attention, says improve your eyes. They're still not there. Well, I, I think what a lot of people uh, sometimes forget that art is is a craftsmanship. Exactly. Just uh, like music. Uh, I mean, yeah. everybody can practice. beat a drum. Yeah. Everybody can beat a drum. Sure. But can you stay in tempo? Right. And can you provoke a feeling inside of me? Can you make me dance? Can you make me cry? And there's an art form to it. All of a sudden, you were drawing me into your song, but you missed a beat. So you, I snapped out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh... In the art world, it's the same thing. Does this painting provoke something in me? Is it well execution? Right. A good execution. The presentation of it and everything. It's all part of the craftsmanship. Yeah, it's a craftsman. A cook is a good craftsman. They know how to blend the vegetables and the tomatoes and, and to pair them up with something sweet and bitter and tangy and citric. And then they know how to bring that unity. If you're a musician, you bring that rhythm. If you are a painter, the eyes look correct the proportions are correct the anatomy is correct the color is correct and then you're like wow this is a well constructed piece did you live in san francisco while going to the academy of art or did you commute i commuted i commuted so i never believed that a person can sleep on a train until i i looked like i was homeless i was so beat i looked like a mule you took the caltrain caltrain yes and it was like i was getting out at 10 30 in the uh from class Mm -hmm. and then i still had to take that last commuter train into san jose the good thing was that i would not do it five times a week Mm-hmm. And while I was going uh, to the academy, I was, uh, you know, paying for it on my own. And so it was very... What line of work were you in? I'm sorry? What line of work did you get yourself in to get to school? I was actually parking cars. So I was uh, working valet? for a... Yeah, I was working for a dealership. And then I was uh, greeting people when they needed their vehicle service. And I was oh, like... Oh, you were oh, a porter. Yeah, I was a porter. And everybody was like, "What? why are you doing that? Because it's the only job that allows me to go to school. Yeah. And then I really liked it because I was interacting with different people and I would see their cars and I would actually make start making observations from looking at what car th- did you drive and how was the inside of your car. <laughs> and then I would start noticing patterns like yeah. people that just had like one pen and one folder they were like very like type a personality so it was always that curiosity so it was really nice and then i enjoyed the work because it was going to give me my ultimate goal was to finish school and to become an artist and i'm of that upbringing you do whatever it takes work is very honorable yes i will tell you this if i ever lose my job and i am in a rut and I can't pay my bills, you will see me outside collecting cans with dignity, with pleasure, 
And then I, whenever I talked to you, I said, you know what? I'm just trying to get back on my feet and it's going to happen. So there was never like this uh, social thing that, you know, somebody that does a job. That's what they do for money collection, mm -hmm. to collect money. It's not who they are. Right, yeah. right. Cool. So, and this allowed you to pay off, wow, because uh, that's expensive university. Very, very, very expensive. And it's a private yes. university. It's a oh. private university. And I wanted to go there. And I actually went to visit right after high school. And then I said, I went into their, their facilities and I looked at all the artwork. And I said, this is who I want to become. I want to draw like this person. But then the lack of support, the lack of maturity, the lack of uh, information uh, really scared me. And then I guess I wasn't mature enough to take on the challenge. So I came back to the same school years after, about five to six years after I had visited the campus. And then I said, there's no other alternative. This is the talent that you want to be around. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, it's going to cost me $1,800 a class and I need 50 classes. <laughs> oh, that's scary. <laughs> you know, coming back from uh, someone that pinches pennies and goes to secondhand stores to get their clothing and works as a porter and you're telling me this is going to cost you thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 and then you still have living expenses and transportation. But I think that um, that was very necessary yeah. in order to, to, to put that fire underneath you. Oh, yeah. And it's like, okay, you got to move because it's hot. You know, it's it's action. And then uh, just like that Mexican saying, si se puede. Si se puede. We are all here. All of our people, some of them crossed with papers, some of them crossed without papers, and they faced death. They faced death. They looked at death in the desert, in the face, and it walked with them, and they struggled, and they found their way. They came to get a little bit of money so that they can offer food on the table and clothing and just a little bit better living standards. That's all. So, yeah. Cool. Stress. I value stress highly. Oh, do you? Oh, yes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, I value stress. Stress, uh, there's a healthy stress that helps you. It promotes action. And then you say, okay, how am I going to fix this situation? And then I think that your tools, you make a stressful situation uh, into a very positive, positive experience. Now, at what point did you get involved with the San Jose art scene? I started getting involved in high school. I started volunteering a lot. I started entering uh, the Martin Luther King poster contest in high school. I won that. I won several awards. I won a recognition for best artist uh, by Pete Wilson, oddly enough, when he was campaigning on 187 to get all the Mexicans out. So I shook his hands while saying, hey, let's get all the Mexicans out. So that was very weird when was this? to me. Who's Pete, Pete Wilson? Wilson was the 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 governor of California and there was a, a campaign 
This was they, in nineties. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, I met him, shook his hands, and it's like, let's get all the Mexicans out. Yet he was giving me a medallion for my achievements. He didn't know you were Mexican, and I didn't identify myself. It was it was almost proving to people that look, your bias has no merit because all of a sudden you're saying get all the Mexicans out. Yet here I am shaking your hand, and then you want me out. Holy shit. Yes. Like, can you go into this a little further? Like, like, okay. What, what, how did you get there again? You, you competed? I competed uh, and uh, I won an award. And then I was, you know, we were gathered and held a medallion. How old were you? Uh, I was, I, oh God, you're going to make me sound like an old man about Why? 16. Because I'm so busy and I'm not very good with dates. But yeah, about 16. And you say you didn't identify as, as a Mexican at the time with, with them? No, I was just a person. I mean, uh, you really have to like sometimes walk as a person. Sometimes you identify. Sometimes you you will always be who you are. But it's almost like, uh, is it really relevant that I? Uh, you know, I was just an artist. So there's uh, sometimes you identify, but there's people that live identifying themselves, and it's like for me, it's like when uh, there's a proper time. You know, like okay, if we are all in a uh, uh, cultural uh, event then you're like hey I'm promoting uh, my African descent you know that's the time to bring that forward if you are an artist because we wear many hats mm-hmm. I am a father I'm a son I'm an artist I'm a Mexican I'm a, uh, a Californian I'm a, a person from Jalisco uh, there's so many things so there's these hats that sometimes we it, it's good to put them on and then sometimes it's like it's irrelevant I'm, you know I'm an artist I'm a good craftsman and I'm here as a craftsman, and then that's all, you know? So it wasn't like really like, ha ha ha, I'm a Mexican, and then you're doing like in your face. It was just most, most, more humble, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. I, I just looked, says this person wants this, and all of a sudden you're shaking the hand of one of them. So it's like. <laughs> but did you understand at the time who he was as far as. Oh, yeah. As far yeah. as. Anytime that somebody attacks our people, yeah, I know who they are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am big on. Just the realization <laughs> that everybody has the right to exist in this earth yeah. and yeah. everybody has a similar experience and you walk up there you look yeah. this man in the eye and you shake his, his hand yeah they take a picture of us and I smile and, I, yeah. and uh, there was a little bit of tension where me it was mostly like me wanting to know why would you want to do this to us look at uh, did look, you ask him no no it, oh. it was all inside asking <laughs> answering in myself like why, why do you want us to do this and it's like and then, uh, then after that, I was telling my friends, "Look, I was shaking the hand." You know, it's like. And then I, I really emphasized the, the fact that the ignorance, you know, of this person that that. But then it was like, okay, on with my life. I can't live here. There's there's other things to do. I don't dwell on things, you know. That's good. I don't dwell on things. I get excited, uh, angry, passionate, and it's like, it needs to leave my body, and then I move forward. What next? What it's next? not going to stop me, you know. And, and by this time, uh, were you participating in art walks in San Jose and all that? No, 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 no. I was just a little hermit in my studio. I, uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, if, if any artist out there is listening to this, they will kind of identify. Artists are hermits. You know, we there's a lot of time that you have to spend in your studio. And then what you do is uh, you're very lonely. It's a very lonely uh, uh, career. 
because it takes a lot of time to form a piece, a painting. It takes five hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, you know, and talking and jumping is not going to make it. It's that you sit down and then you fill this piece with paint and it's a goo, right? It's a goo. It's sticky. And then you form it. You give it life. You say this goo that is red paint, it's going to become a heart. So you are a creator. You are someone that gives life to an animate object. Your guitar, it has nothing but strings. It's just an object. But then you give it a voice. It's you that gives it the voice. It's not the pencil. The pencil can write a foul, derogatory word, or it can create the most positive message that keeps someone from committing suicide. Mm -hmm. Wow. Two tools that are the same. How are you going to use your tool? What are you going to tell the world? What are you going to leave for future generations? What is your guitar going to do? Is it going to badmouth someone? Or is it going to empower change? Now, you mentioned that you're a family man. You're, yes. You're a father. I am a father. Uh, how did uh, fatherhood uh, change you and your perspective in, in art and life? It was transmitting a lot of the values and giving my children the tools for them to say it was transmitting a lot of the values it was beautiful because when you become a father you understand your parents and then you take the positive of your parents and then you are able to filter where they've made mistakes so now that I've been a son, fatherhood allows me to say, my father taught me that you need to work hard. So I need to tell my son, you need to work hard. You need to start having that conversation. Can I buy this? How about you save your pennies? You can't just buy things. How about, so it was that beautiful experience of me saying I'm gonna take the best of my father and then I'm gonna transmit it into this little person to help him. It's life editing. That's how I see it. You edit. life editing. I yeah, like that. you you, ed you edit life. You know it's like oh do, were were they too rough on me? Maybe I should be more patient with my son. My father was a little bit more impatient. And I think that the beautiful thing is that when you become a parent, it's uh, you will never get things right. The only thing that you can really do is uh, not abuse your kids and then give them. You will make mistakes, but it's, it's, it's transmitting to the kids the best of your grandma and your grandpa. And it's beautiful to be part of that link. Do you feel like your art has changed since you had a, a boy? Or a child? Do you do you have a boy and a girl? Or I think it, it just it, one boy it, for now. Uh, no, I have uh, uh, three children. Oh, three children. Yeah, and uh, what happens is that it's changed my life. Yes, it has changed my life. I want to be able to uh, produce a painting, start to finish that is well crafted that my children 
are proud of it. Not to show them, it's to say that I can't, I, I was given a life from a capable person. I was given a life from a capable person, a successful person, a successful painter, not a wannabe painter, not someone that steals ideas, that creates their own. I was given a life from a creator, from an investigator, from someone that has passion, from someone that works, from someone that invented an idea and transmits it. If I die, my children will see the paintings and I will leave a footprint, a fingerprint, and says that that painting was made by my father. My two-year-old, he looks at paintings in public and says, Daddy, Papa, Papi, Papi. He actually knows me in public by my paintings. Papi, Papi, Papi. Yeah. He sees a painting in a gallery. Papi, 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 Papi. Because he saw me painting it while he was running around the living room. Yeah, so it's it's very beautiful, you know. That, yeah. So yeah, it's it's that connection that my children recognize me for my work. That's a very big value, and it talks about transmitting a art form that they can pursue if they wish. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think you touched upon a notion there, in that um, uh, is that your children can identify your voice through your painting. Excellent. Yes. And, and I feel as an artist of any kind, of a musician, of a writer, it is important for your audience to recognize your work and identify you through your work. You know, and not be like, oh, well, that looks like average. I feel like anybody ar- artist could have done that one, but it's like, no, that lo- that looks that looks like a Roberto painting. That looks that you know, that makes sense. Yes, yes, it definitely does. And talking about your work, uh, your 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 latest uh, uh, piece of art, you know, I think uh, brings an interesting um, reaction to me. La Nueva Loteria, right? <laughs> yes, that's correct. And I'm sure you've got a lot of reactions from this one, right? Yes, uh, it's been nothing but positivity yeah. and, and, and lots of wows. You know, like, is this what I think it is? Yes, it's what you think it is. And for the listeners, uh, pretty much he is, uh, it's a, the, the Loteria is a, it's like a bingo game. And a lot of, I don't know if it's just specifically Mexican, but maybe other Latino cultures have it. Um, where it's like a, a big, um, uh, what's, how can, how about you? How can, how will you describe the Loteria game and how did you alter it and, and make it your own? So the Loteria has its origins in Italy and it comes, See, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's one of the, the goals of this project because what I wanted to do is, uh, remember this is when I grew up. So for me, words are so powerful so for me it was a lot of people that said the mexican loteria did you know that the loteria was not mexican like wake up like come to focus know your history know your where you came from how you transformed your life what experiences what society gave you the music the food the influences and how does it relate to you we all have something to contribute the loteria its origins are, are from Italy, back in the 1600s. It comes to Spain. Spain brings it to us. 
that is the old Xbox. Okay, so you had a version and it was very expensive because, you know, things had to be drawn by hand and printed and reproduced. So what happened was that while Mexican Mexicans or any other native or subjugated people, the rich were out drinking tea and playing this game while we were out in the field making their money. So it teaches you the lesson, the origins. This is one of many series. There's tons of series. But the one that we know as the Mexican Loteria are the 54 symbols that came to be adopted into Mexico and says this is what identifies. They adopted it and now it's Mexican. And then it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. What I wanted to know is and teach people is do you know your history so what I did I took people on a voyage and I use all of the characters and then I gave them the subject I uh, a very 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 rustic background to say that we come from this comes from a very old place the subject hand painted lettering rays or circles to represent that and a little mini illustration to support that so that there's storytelling involved an example I did the corazón if you look at the other loteria it's just a heart mm -hmm. but what I did el corazón I put two wedding rings to symbolize el corazón la familia the family so then you you plug those two and says oh that's the family La araña, the spider. What does the spider do? It weaves a web. Who weaves in Mexico? The Mayans. You know, they make their own clothing and then they use looms. So there's that connection. And if people don't know it, you know, I use symbolism to see if people get it. So it's there. Sometimes you have to kind of dig deep and sometimes you have to ask questions like, why is this? Oh, let me... And then there's a dialogue and an education in my art. Now, what's interesting about this Loteria is that you actually formed it like uh, into an actual uh, uh, format that... It's, it's like the game. It, it literally looks like it's the game. Yeah. You know, as opposed to making a painting of it. Yeah. Why did you choose to do that? I grew up around it. There was nothing but beautiful experiences of uh, a lottery. I mean, there's no technique in a lottery. Really? It's either you Nobody win, got mad? You know, that, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. It was like little... It was my grandma on <laughs> my mother's side. It was competition, man. Yeah, yeah, it was competition, but you couldn't do anything about it. You know, it's like, when are you going to die? Who knows? It's like, uh, tomorrow. So life... I, I and, and it's a very powerful thing because life is a lottery. When will we leave this earth? Tomorrow in an accident? in a deathbed with cancer so it projects life the randomness of it no it's your turn to lose it's your turn to win and there's nothing that you can do all you can do is go through this game and have fun and be frustrated and be in a setting with loved ones and not so loved ones oh, who invited this person <laughs> and then all of a sudden you win Woo! and then all of a sudden everybody loses 
so there's that's life it represents life it's it's the challenges the, and for me it was just uh the memory of seeing all these chamaquitos little kids uh getting their beans ready and it's like oh man i lost i lost i lost i lost and it was just a great memory right now there's something happening that um uh we are becoming uh like zombies. I see that uh, people are losing the value of family and they are going to lose their children to an electronic device. The internet. Uh, the internet. You know, uh, you see kids that don't look at you in the face because you don't have a tablet face. They say hello to you and they're distracted. They're looking for that fix. Mm -hmm. So this is saying, let's get together again. Let's. Uh, I love it. People come to me and says, did you know that we have up to this point, Loteria, every third Monday of the month at Grandma's. Yeah. And it's beautiful because you're teaching kids how to get together, how to put the devices down, how to laugh with each other. I mean, literally, you have people that are uh, so fixed and they, they don't they don't look at you in the eyes. You have kids that don't know how to socialize. It's like they are drunk. It's like we're, we're, we're creating drunken kids, drunken kids, socially inadequate because don't get insulted, inadequate, uh, improper. They don't know how to behave. They don't know how to be next. Oh, this is boring. They don't get into it. This is boring. Well, guess what? The Internet is boring. After seeing 30 videos of something funny, you become immune to it. It's not that funny anymore. You know, it's like there's it's this constant instant gratification. Yeah, and yeah. You 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 uh, you get desensitized to a lot of things. Desensitized. You know that that's you're you're hitting the nail on the head. It's I'm trying to promote uh, tradition. Uh, I'm trying to promote social healing. There's a time and space uh, for internet use. You know, but a lot of the times families go out. It's Friday, and instead of unwinding with the kids, how is your meal? Mom has a cell phone, dad has a cell phone, a five-year-old has a cell phone, a two-year-old has a cell phone, a one-year-old has a cell phone. And it's like, they're promoting like, oh look, my kid can push a button. It's like, okay. <laughs> Woohoo. Now, for me, again, I got attracted to to mm -hmm. this piece of art because it threw me back to my childhood. Mm -hmm. I, cool. I, a lot of nostalgic reasons. And uh, even, like, the day after, my sister saw it, and she got really excited about it, you know, because she... Excellent. Uh, she's like, oh, my God, I saw this artist out there, and <laughs> he had this thing at the Cataloteria. It was amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he was next to my friend uh, Francisco. Awesome. Which is actually one of his paintings right here. Beautiful. Uh, Francisco Ramirez. <clears throat> And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure that you get a lot of feedback from a lot of Latinos that way. It's like, oh, I remember this from my childhood. But how, how was the feedback from people who are not familiar with it? How has that been? And how, how did you best describe it to them? Some, uh, it's, it, thank you for asking that question. It's, uh, I'm, I'm serving society I'm using this as a tool to serve a very specific group, but it's also not exclusive. People that come to me, I've seen people from Sweden, France, Europe, 
Africa and they come up to me and says, I really like this. I really like the aesthetics of it. And I just need to have it. And they go home and they don't know how to play it. But all of a sudden, I thought about that. How am I going to transmit this? So if you flip the box, it's in English and Spanish. How to go about playing this game. People take it because it's nostalgic. Sometimes people take it because of the colors. Sometimes people take it because of the rendering. I love the, the way you use. A lot of people, uh, I've had people that read uh, the Loteria as a tarot, mm -hmm. and then they take it. So it has multiple applications and it's universal. Mexico is not Mexican. Mexico has different ethnic groups in Mexico. You have Zapotecs, you have Mixtecs, you have Mayans, you have Irish, you know, you have Asians, you have Koreans, Chinese in modern times, Indians from India, the Irish, Jewish people immigrating, and everybody brings something to the table. For example, we say the El Musico, and he's playing the accordion. That's a, a German, it's a European. But how did that instrument come and how did it get transformed? How did its voice change? You know, I listen to uh, Polish uh, music and uh, uh, German and I'm like, man, those are like some corrido beats, you know? Right. But they gave it to us. And then all of a sudden we changed the lyrics and that instrument, like the pencil, says something else. With your music, you can play a ballad, you know, hip-hop, you can play different things. So that's what it is. It's educating people that we are a collection of many ideas and it's a collaboration. So that is what this project... But for the non-Latino, Chicano, Mexicano, Central American, they're like, I was drawn to it. I was either through color, through the logo, through like, what is it? And then I start talking to them and I'm like, I'm gonna get my family together. And then all of a sudden I see him in the next place and it's like, we played your game. And it was so freaking awesome. So it's, it's nothing but, but positive reaction. Well, it's, it's one, many beautiful things about art mm -hmm. is to uh, exactly. to make you see different stuff, perspectives mm -hmm. and cultures and, and, and experiences. Because first, you know, you're visually attracted to it. Mm -hmm. Then you're like, oh, what's this about? And before you know it, you're, 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 you're doing something that you never thought you would have done before. And that happens in art in food oh yeah you know it's like food. okay we have That's, food they're almost one together yes yes can things. you say that uh, an african person is not gonna enjoy a tamal oh i love it you know it, it's what you present to the table for the consumption of the earth we're all children and then this shows you that anybody can drink from the fountain that i have built you know yeah. it's not it's specific and it comes from me to anybody and everybody. Yeah. Cool. All right, uh, Roberto, we, we we're hitting that one hour mark. It's a pleasure having Perfect. you here. It was excellent. Thank uh, you for having me in your home, no. and it's been a pleasure to be honored in this way. Yeah. No. Thank you for coming. Uh, it's great um, to hear from you. And there's a lot of that you said that I think not just me, but many others can digest and mm -hmm. really take in. But before we go there, one last question. And this is more of a question of reflection. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, w I want you to um, think back 
to your childhood of you in that farm drawing away with what the letter you had and if you could speak to yourself in that moment what's some advice that you would give yourself I think I would not give myself any advice I think that life presents to you whatever it presents to you and it is for you to figure things out I would not go back or fly into my childhood and says Roberto don't listen to your dad go to high school don't listen to your dad do this uh, oh take an art class here take an art class there I think that I became a successful artist because of the struggles of the uh, haves have-nots of the discipline of the lack of I think that having a lack in something really provides the clue to what life is, which is a search. I would just not give myself any advice because life is to be lived. And then it you have the tools inside of you. So I don't know. I don't think I don't see myself like saying anything to myself other than search. I think I would probably just say search and keep working at something and whatever comes to me it's because it had to be there and for me to live it all right fair enough thank you very much Roberto thank you for coming it's a pleasure Man, that guy was really cool. I really enjoyed talking to that guy. I really hope I get to meet him again one of these days and uh, pick his brain a bit more about art. Mm -hmm. It's been a very art-filled episode, this one. Looking forward for the next one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, till next week, I have another great guest, uh, someone who has uh, in a, a big reputation here among the music scene. So look forward for that one. And uh, have a great Sunday. I hope you guys are doing well once again. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And please visit the jmspodcast.com website for more. All right. Sayonara. Heading out. <laughs>